I can't. I can't. Not again. I'm not strong enough. You remember that line? Who spoke it? Mr. Incredible? I can't. Not again. I'm not strong enough. He's feeling the pressure to be super, to literally be a superhero. But there's one thing that overwhelms him. It's suffering. It's pain. You see, just before he spoke those words, he said to Mrs. Incredible, I can't lose you again. That's the thing he can't do. That's the thing he's not strong enough to do. I know I'm supposed to be super, but I am overwhelmed by the prospect of having to bear that much hurt again. Isn't it amazing how an animated movie can so perfectly capture the problem of the human race? Like, that's what we feel every day. It's, it's this impossible tension. On the one hand, pressure to be super, to be strong. On the other hand, overwhelmed by suffering. And that problem is exactly the problem that the grace of Jesus is meant to solve. This morning we're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 because... It was written for just this purpose. Um, leaders who have been pressured and have, have let themselves be shaped by that pressure to be super have moved into the ancient city of Corinth. The Apostle Paul is pushing back against this model of leadership. He even calls these new leaders super apostles in chapter 11, being a bit ironic. And uh, he says they're, they're not super apostles at all. They're, they're preaching a different Jesus. They're preaching a different gospel. Their Jesus is one who never had to suffer. Their Jesus has no crucifixion about him. He's all about resurrection and power and glory and strength and no weakness and no suffering and no sorrow. That's a different Jesus. It leads to leaders who prove themselves strong by boasting about dramatic spiritual experiences they have had. And so the Apostle Paul says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet the super apostles on their own turf. If they're boasting about their amazing experiences, let me talk about a similar experience I had and, and, and the impact it had on me. And so he says, I know a guy who 14 years ago had a vision of Jesus in all his heavenly glory. Now, Paul is talking about himself. He's just doing it indirectly. I know a guy who had this kind of vision of Jesus in all his heavenly glory 14 years ago, and the result wasn't boasting in how strong that guy was. The result, when you know Jesus, is you wind up boasting about how powerful his grace is. How powerful His grace is to meet us in that impossible tension of feeling pressured to be strong and yet knowing our own weakness. What does it mean to boast in the grace of Jesus? That's where we'll pick up the story as Jim comes to read for us. Okay. 
Our scripture this morning is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. So, to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Let's take a minute and pray. Lord Jesus, whatever we think of your grace, it is not enough. (laughs) Your grace is bigger than we have yet understood. If we are not your followers and we, we... Think of your grace as a religious game that some people play, and we're glad it helps them. That is not true. That's not a big enough view of you and your grace. If we have followed you for decades, and we think that your grace is our lifeblood, without which we would never face a single moment, still our understanding of you and your grace is not enough. It's not big enough. Would you enlarge our vision of you and your grace to us, no matter where we are in our journey in this life, we pray. Amen. Let's summarize this truth from Scripture in one sentence. There's the sentence. Jesus invites people who know they are weak and people who think they are strong to become people who are changed by grace. Some of you are going, but wait, Jim read about the Apostle Paul having a thorn in his flesh, and this doesn't say anything about it. And can we talk about that? Because that is like one of the great mysteries of interpreting the New Testament. Like if you were to make this sort of list of of questions that like somebody who's gone to church for a long time and they know the Bible and like if I could ask Jesus the answer to any question, this would be somewhere in my top 10. Like what what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? Now, if you don't know the Bible and you're new to Christianity and you're like, what? Why is that such a big deal? I don't know why it's a big deal. Everybody wants to know the answer, right? You go to St. Louis, everybody wants to know exactly how tall the arch is. Yeah, you come to Atlanta, people want to know what's the formula for Coke? You read the New Testament, people want to know, what was the thorn? I'm not sure why. Well, okay, just to satisfy your curiosity a little bit, (laughs) um, first, let's recognize that Scripture doesn't say much about the thorn itself. It says more about its purpose and its impact. Its purpose, Paul says twice, was to keep me from becoming conceited. We, we, we tend not to be as interested in that part of the story. <laughs> what does it mean to, to not be conceived? Um, and the impact was 
I wound up trusting the grace of Jesus more. Um, now, the main interpretations over the years of what this thorn was uh, fall into two primary categories, either you know, a physical ailment, some people say some kind of uh, head injury or uh, eye problem or maybe some intestinal issue. I, and then the other broad camp is um, that the thorn in the flesh was this constant experience of opposition. People like the super apostles in Corinth um, constantly undoing the work that Paul was doing, traveling the world, starting churches built around Jesus and trusting him, and then constantly being followed up by false teachers who were saying, let's trust Jesus plus something else. Because Paul is a fraudulent leader, and his message is a JV message. He gives you half the truth. He tells you you have to trust Jesus and his grace, and we're here to tell you Jesus and his grace are great, but you have to supplement them with something else. And constantly, Paul is dealing with that. Now, I, I, the second camp is right, and I can't tell you why I know that, because it would take too many hours, but I'm strongly in that camp. It's not the main focus of what we're meant to take away from these words. What's the main focus? The main focus, reflecting in town's mission statement, is, has to do with becoming a people who are changed by grace. We said last week, and we'll keep saying again, God's calling for in town. The reason why we exist is to see people changed by grace and known in community, and sent to restore. We're going to unpack that over the next several weeks. Today we're unpacking what does it mean to be changed by grace. Well, that calling to see people changed by grace is rooted in a promise. People can actually be changed by grace. How do we know that? Why? Well, because of what we said earlier, Jesus invites all kinds of people to be changed by his grace. People who know they're weak, people who think they are strong, and people who live in some confused middle, depending on what day of the week it is, whether I know myself to be weak or strong. Let's start here. Jesus invites us to become people who are changed by grace. What is grace? We can't just throw that word around like it's some magic mantra. We've got to know what we mean by that. What does the Bible mean when it talks about grace? My grace is sufficient for you, Jesus says to the Apostle Paul. What was Jesus talking about? I'll define it this way. Grace is God's action. It's something God does of lavishing infinite love on disqualified people. Grace is when God lavishes infinite love on disqualified people because of what Jesus has done. A couple of misconceptions about grace. The first misconception is this. You have to qualify for it by being strong. No. <laughs> no. My grace is sufficient for you, Jesus says, for my power is made perfect in weakness. It's not about your strength, it's about my power, Jesus says. And you don't qualify for grace by being strong. You simply 
receive it in weakness. Um, in races in the Olympics, right, this is how it works. You qualify for the next race by, doing, by showing in the previous race that you're strong enough. Right? There, there are heats, and, and if you win your heat, you, if your, your finish is strong in, in the semifinal heat, then you advance to the finals. You qualify for the finals. Or if it's a marathon, you, you qualify by running a marathon in your, your national trials. And if you're strong enough at that level, then you qualify for the, the real thing. And sometimes we think of the grace of Jesus as being like that. Oh, strong people Show that they deserve it, that they're worthy of it. You have to qualify for it. The truth is we're all disqualified. The moment you try to be strong enough, the moment you try to show that I don't need grace to be sufficient because I am self-sufficient, you have disqualified yourself from the race of knowing God and His mercy. The moment you try to qualify, you actually disqualify qualify yourself. It's not that I'm on the track and I'm not running very fast. It's that I left the start line before the gun went off and now I don't even get to finish the race. I have disqualified myself. The moment I stand before God and say, thanks for the offer, but I'm okay. I got this. I know I feel weak but I can overcome it. Why would I need you? Why would I? Thanks, Jesus, for the offer of grace. When I clean myself up a bit, I'll get back to you. Let me go practice a few more laps around the track, and then I'll run your race. No, that kind of self-sufficiency is the way we disqualify ourselves. And the story of the Bible says at the end of it all, Every member of the human race, we disqualified ourselves. There's only one person left on the track. There's only Jesus. And if there's going to be a victory in this world, Jesus will have to win it. And if I am going to have a share in that victory, and you're going to have a share in that victory, somehow Jesus is going to have to let us be on his team. That's faith, by the way. The Bible describes that process of coming to a place to say, I want the victory that you have won, Jesus. I want to be on your team. I disqualify myself, but please, would you let me share in your victory anyway? That's misconception number one about grace, that somehow it has to do with qualifying by being strong. The second is that grace is a nice spiritual idea, but it doesn't produce results in the real world. I don't know if you've had this thought very much, but I heard a lot when I was teaching uh, people how to preach in seminaries. We would talk a lot about the need to constantly point people back to God's grace and its power. And um, whether it was from first-year students or people who had been preaching for 25 years, oftentimes the conversation would get around to someone saying, Yeah, this is great, but when you need to raise money for a building campaign, you got to motivate people by something other than grace, right? Grace is not going to put money in the bank. When you need volunteers for the nursery, you better motivate people by guilt. 
right? Or if the other church across town is outperforming you, you might need to motivate people by a sense of pride. We got it. We can outperform them. Because the assumption is, hey, grace sounds like a great idea. I mean, it's in the Bible and all. And I mean, you know, Jesus says my grace is sufficient. But he wasn't talking about real stuff. He was talking about spiritual stuff. Hmm. Really. The grace that Jesus offers us. When, he, when, when the God of all the universe takes on flesh and blood and he comes into our world and he says... I want to lavish infinite love on you. That has power to change us in very real ways. Let's unpack it a little bit and dig a bit deeper. What kind of grace is offered to weak people? Well, let's notice that grace is for people who are overwhelmed by real world weaknesses. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Rejection. Someone say to you, you're not enough. You ain't all that. I used to like you, but I'm done with you. I wanted to marry you, but now I don't. I married you, but now I don't want to be married anymore. You did your best, but it's still an F. Sorry, you didn't make the team. We used to be best friends, but you hurt me too bad. Rejection sound familiar? Anxiety sound familiar? That's what the Apostle Paul was going through, right? The church he had started in Corinth, many of its leaders are saying, we're not so sure about you anymore. We think you're a fraud. These super apostles, man, they are the real deal. Sorry, Paul. Thanks, spiritual dad. But we found a new dad. And what does that lead to? In chapter 11, after Paul lists all of the things he has suffered and endured, beatings and shipwrecks and starving and freezing at night, not having enough clothing, not having enough food, he says, you want to know the, the greatest thing that causes me suffering? It is the anxiety I daily experience because of my concern for all the churches. Don't tell the Apostle Paul that grace is a spiritual idea that can't produce real practical fruit and change. He's talking about Jesus changing him in the middle of real world rejection and real anxiety. People attacking his worth and his work. That ever happened to you? Anybody ever attack the work you do and use that to call into question the worth of who you are? That's what's happening in the background. That's why the Apostle Paul is talking about this. He is saying, these super leaders have come to town saying, just the latest in a process that lasted over 10 years. He says, you know, 14 years ago, I had this great vision of Jesus. And Jesus was getting me ready for a thorn that would go into my flesh and would never come out. And I begged him, Jesus, please take it out, take it out, take it out. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take this away. And the Lord said to me, it's going to stay there. So that you will learn to trust my grace and so that you will not become arrogant and conceited 
Over 10 years, Paul has experienced these kinds of attacks of people saying, thanks for getting us off to a good start in church planting, spiritual dad, but we're about to advance to real elite Christian status and we're done with you. He's doing all this under a constant pressure to compromise, weariness, discouragement. I'm not making that up. Listen to what Paul says. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Um, The word for harass there means to pummel, to beat. He's like, I feel like the devil's punching bag. I am walking through life battered and bruised, beaten up. I'm tired of it. I'm worn out. I'm constantly in pain. Every time I move, something hurts. Not literally, physically, right? He's saying, there's this, there's this thorn that keeps me in this sense of weariness and discouragement. And constantly, Satan is whispering to me, you need less Jesus in your life and more Paul in your life. Overwhelmed with all of these kinds of trials and pressures for more than a decade, where would the strength to endure that with joy come from? And the answer is, Jesus saying, I want to lavish infinite love on you. My grace is sufficient for you. I know it hurts. I'm with you. That's a real world promise from Jesus. It gives us freedom to stop trusting our favorite coping strategy. I'll just avoid anything that exposes my weakness. I will pretend it doesn't hurt. I will find it within myself to fix it. No, we are free to trust Jesus to give us the strength and the joy that we need in this real world weakness. When you hurt this week and it feels like you cannot go on, that is the moment that Jesus wants to say to you again, I have enough love to pour out on you right now to help you endure it. My grace is sufficient for whatever is ahead in the next seven days and the seven after that and the seven after that and the seven after that. It will never run out. It will always be enough and more than enough. That's grace for people who know they're weak. How about grace for people who think they're strong? The grace that Jesus offers us is for people who are tempted by real-world pressures. Again, making the case that we can't just sweep the grace of Jesus under the rug as something spiritual that doesn't really affect day-to-day life. We can be changed for real life in real ways when Jesus looks down from his heavenly throne and says, I want to pour out infinite love on you 
even though you have never given me a reason to. The one reason I want to do it is because I am full of grace and I can't wait to share it. Who's ready? That lands in the context of real world weakness, but also in the context of real world temptation to be strong. Jesus has the power to give strong people faith in him rather than faith in ourselves. We live in a world that's full of challenges that constantly expose our weakness. And we feel the pressure to lash back against that by saying, I am super. I am a real leader. I am a real Christian. I am a real hero. I can do it. We feel that pressure from our Corinthian culture. Right? That was the model of leadership in ancient Corinth. Show up and tell everybody you are stronger than the last leader. Show up at lecture time and show you are better than the last teacher. Outperform everyone. But we not only experience that pressure from our Corinth, we experience that pressure inside our church. The super apostles weren't going out and, and standing in the temple, temples of the Roman gods and goddesses and saying, be super. They were standing in churches and saying, we can be super. We don't need the grace of Jesus. Maybe we needed it for the first lap around the track, but now we're off and running. Thank you, Jesus. We got it from here. Why do we constantly feel that pressure from our culture and inside the church? The answer is it comes from inside the human heart. Any place that you take me, this will go there with me. This temptation to show I am strong. A heart distorted by sin, distorted by a, a love of self more than love of God. So that the natural reflex of my heart and yours becomes, I do not need grace to be sufficient because I am self-sufficient. What do we do when everything outside of us Everything inside here and everything inside our own hearts is telling us to put more trust in ourselves than in Jesus. We need to be radically transformed by the grace of Jesus so that we could have the courage to say, Jesus, you're right. I am not strong. I only thought I was. Jesus, you are right. Every time I'm tempted to respond to crisis by having more of self and less of you in my life, that's a reminder that I am not strong and I need your grace. Jesus, every time I respond to temptation by saying, I need more of my own desire in my life to be satisfied and less of the will of Jesus for my life to be satisfied, that's a reminder I'm not strong. What's going to tempt you in the seven days ahead? Are you going to be tempted to downplay your grouchiness toward everyone as a, I just didn't get enough sleep? Okay, yeah, you didn't get enough sleep and that factors in. But guess what? If you had gotten enough sleep, you'd probably still somehow be grumpy with somebody. Are you going to be tempted this week to 
love money more than you wish you loved money? Look, I'm not even asking for a high standard here. I'm not saying love money more than God thinks you should. Let's set the bar lower. Love money more than you think you should. You will be tempted this week to love money at such a level that if, any, if you gave anybody an honest answer about it, you would be ashamed. We'll be tempted this week to double-click on an image, a video, something that you shouldn't, you know you shouldn't. You know you've taken vows saying you wouldn't, but you're going to anyway. I don't care if it's a kitten video. <laughs> if there's that impulse in us that says, nope, this is my time. I will spend it how I want. I will do with it what I want. I don't have to tell anybody else about it. This is just me in the privacy of my own space and time. And Jesus, go away for a minute. This is my time. Whatever your temptation is in the next week, Jesus is saying to you right now, I can give you real strength. Infinite love has a way of changing people. And if you will slow down long enough to let me tell you that you can't, you are not strong enough, and I will meet you there, Jesus says. My grace is sufficient for you. And I will make my power come to full expression in this world through your weakness. Only a crucified and resurrected Savior could speak to us that way. If he weren't crucified, I don't think I would want to hear him talk about weakness. What do you know about weakness, Jesus? You've always lived in heaven where everything's perfect. And if you weren't a resurrected Savior, I don't know that I'd want to hear him talking about power. You're dead in a tomb. You were humiliated and executed by actually powerful people. So thank you for the pep talk, but it's worthless. But Jesus is not either of those caricatures. He is a crucified and resurrected Savior. When he speaks to us about weakness, he knows more than we do what he is talking about. When he speaks to us about power, he knows more than we do and yet promises that one day he will invite us into that resurrection power, glory, and joy so that we will know as he does. It's not a fair arrangement, is it? He wants us to share fully in the power, but he doesn't ask us to taste weakness as deeply as he did. That's grace. That's grace. Infinite love lavished on people who don't deserve it. What happens to people like that? We get changed. 
And we want other people to experience the same kind of change that Jesus has worked in our lives. We have heard the sweetness, and we want others to hear the sweetness of Jesus saying, I know you can't. I know you're not strong enough. But my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness.